Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. <laughs> Professor Bramson, I am still speaking. It's election shock <laughs> therapy. Post-TV <laughs> edition. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, I'm brushing the fly off my head. Yep. <laughs> so the fly fly related meme from uh, last night's vice presidential debate let's get all the fly stuff out of the way first so we can stop talking about that darn fly yeah i mean i think the fly was the only organism that mostly abided by the two minute rule it was on there for <laughs> only three it was on there for two over. minutes and three seconds apparently yeah. Okay. uninterrupted let's get that clear too uninterrupted two minutes <laughs> has anyone got the flies endorsement yet can we get a tiny fly maggot hat can we i mean maggot hat m-a-g-g-o-t i mean he was on mike pence's um, head so take that for what it is but you know well you know yeah, I mean, apparently like, there's like, campaign uh, from, like fly swatters now and like it's it's a whole thing so <laughs> wow yeah when uh when jesus emerged from the jordan river uh god sent a dove um, down to rest upon his son. Uh, <laughs> I don't like where this is going. Uh, a fly to oh, no. upon Mike Pence. Make of that what you will. Um, wow. wow. No, in all seriousness, uh, not in all seriousness, I just want to make one more joke. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my preferred headline, I'm a child of the 90s, and so I grew up uh, uh, in the orbit of uh, the, the musical group The Offspring. And so my favorite version of this headline is uh, Petty Fly for a White Guy. Is that's my uh, that's what I'm rooting for. So anyway, right. other than the fly, <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think of the debate last night? Uh well, it was you know never was it so refreshing to see dishonest and smarmy politicians dodge questions and give canned speeches. Yep. Um, you know, it's like it's sort of like. It's, it's a comparative thing, right? So, like, we've been choking mm-hmm. on smoke and carbon monoxide, you know, and now we are simply in a in a sewer or a pile of garbage, and it's just merely noxious fumes. And by yeah. comparison, it's, it's great. Um, yeah, so that's that's my my take. So. Well, right, I mean, okay. Um, yeah. It's kind of like why Americans get enthused about Warren Harding after World War one in the 1920 election it's the return to normalcy is he great is he going to be a great leader no but he's not world war one and he's not laid up with a stroke so there's that <laughs> and that's kind of how this felt i mean it, you know boring as matt said lots of question dodging um and you know like say, talking about the thing they want to talk about instead of actually talking about what they were asked but hey um at least felt like sort of normal level conflict as opposed to what we saw in the first presidential it was, at the very least, two people who comported themselves in the manner of a federal official. Yes, and and had a, and and talked on stage at the same time. I refuse to say yeah. that they actually had a debate. They did not right. disagree about the issues. No. Uh, they made points and statements yep. uh, that were part of their talking points. Yep. Yep. But at the very least, they seemed like they could. Um, they would be the kind of people I would allow to drive my kids around in a minivan. 
I'll put it that way. And I, I did not leave the first, I did not leave the first expedition that way. Wow. That, that's a great rule of thumb. That's great. I like that. Um, you look stable enough for that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love taking my kids to soccer practice. That's, that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah, right. I would agree. Um, yeah, it was it was very traditional. It was like jumping in yeah. a time machine, and we went back, you know, 15, 20 years to like a very standard fare, um, you know, um, interaction, not a debate, interaction. Um, yep. You know, yep. which you know, they're you know they're dodging questions, they're sticking to the talking points. Um, you know, both of mm -hmm. them, you know, followed the strategies that they needed to. I would say for the most part. So, yep. you know, I you know I see partisans on my Facebook feed lining up saying, you know, uh, that their candidate won the debate. So, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's a draw, right? Each side did what they needed to do. Um, Harris, you know, did no harm and actually did a little better. She, you know, made this a refer referendum on Trump, right? Tacked mm -hmm. his record, sure. which is what she needed to do. Um, you know, Pence, for the most part, did a good job in trying to paint a Biden administration as going, you know, further, further left and being progressive. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not where we want to go with America. And that's kind of what he needed to do. Um, yep. They both kind of held their own. Uh, dodged questions uh, were generally smarmy and dishonest. And um, yeah, it was it was great. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'd be quite that harsh on the smart and dishonest piece, but I think the thing about vice presidential debates is they don't really matter unless something epically stupid happens and yes. nothing like that happened, right? I mean, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris did not self-destruct on that stage. They did fine. Um, as Chris said, you know, you at least could f feel confident about them driving a minivan with your children in it. Um, and frankly, for vice presidential debate, that's good enough, yeah. right? And now we move on back to the main show, which unfortunately has been... Um, <laughs> Less good. Well, before we get to the main show, I want to offer two thoughts about this vice presidential debate. Although I entirely agree with the two of you that th the chances it affects the outcome of the election are very small, right? Yeah. It, it mostly shapes media narrative, which itself yes. might affect the outcome of the election, but it's it's not really that meaningful. But here's, here's where I do take away from it. I observed something which I think is a legitimate strategy and which is a legitimate win for both sides. Both candidates undertook a particular rhetorical strategy, which I think was intentional given the amount of times it happened. For Mike Pence, there was rarely a time where he did not exceed the time limit granted him by the moderator and continue to talk over the moderator for sometimes five, sometimes as many as 25, 30 seconds beyond the time, which led to this weird interaction where he was continuing to speak as if unaware that other people were talking to him while she patiently said, Mr. Vice President, Mr. Vice President, thank you, Mr. Vice President, thank you, Mr. Vice President, over and over again. Kamala Harris, on the other hand, really, with the exception of one or two times, stopped talking on a dime when her time had elapsed. And you, this would lead you to think that Mike Pence talked a whole lot more than Kamala Harris. Not true at all. They were within three seconds of actual speaking time of each other. Now, the reason why is because every time Mike Pence went over, without saying anything about it, the moderator was giving Kamala Harris a little bit more time to keep their time even. But I actually think both Pence and Harris were intentional in this strategy. I think Mike Pence meant to overtalk his the, the moderator, and I think Harris meant to stop. And I think this actually is has nothing to do with reaching any kind of undecided voters, of which we've previously discussed. There are nearly none. But 
to appeal to the kind of image they want to present to their own parties. Harris is in this troubling position where if she comes across as too strident, uh, too aggressive, she's going to be penalized for that. Uh, people are watching her for the same reason they often watch lots of other female politicians. Uh, and there's this double standard we hold female politicians to. They can't be seen as too brassy, uh, too bossy, uh, right. and lots of other terms that I could use. On the other hand, Mike Pence is in a room with a female opponent and a female moderator, and he needs to display a certain kind of commanding masculinity. Can I say that? And I mm -hmm. think uh, not being beholden to a woman telling him when to stop talking is part of that commanding masculinity. Mm. And I think that that was an intentional choice on both of their parts. What do you get? Is that by that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some element mm -hmm. of that. I would say, though, I mean, in my, um, um, you know, just looking at my non-scientific poll of looking at my Facebook feed um, and also just looking at a smattering of news sites, it does seem that um, the reactions to the um, to the methods of the two of the two speakers break down on purely partisan lines. Mm -hmm. There are female conservatives that were annoyed as heck with Kamala Harris. And there are male liberals that were annoyed with with Pence, right? So, so if you look at the breakdowns and the criticism, yeah. it is almost purely driven by partisanship, as, right. as far as I can tell. Um, so, I agree yeah. with that entirely. Yep. Yep. The other, um, well, I, did you guys have other thoughts on this debate? I don't want to just completely monopolize here, but no, I'm good. I didn't. No, have, I, mean, I, I only get to watch part of it. I was at a. Um, a lovely men's prayer gathering down by a lake with a campfire, which was a lot more. Did you guys ever talk the Lord? Did you ever talk um, the moderator? Um, is um, there... You know, I don't know. We didn't hear the Lord's voice out loud, so it is possible. Okay. But I think <laughs> other than that, we conduct ourselves with probably more dignity than there was on the stage. Um, but I'm sure quite um, confident you did. Yes, yes. So it was good, but I did catch part of the debate um, at, at the end um, on TV and then part of it on the old-fashioned method of radio on the way home. Oh, wow. Like, and listen to them on the radio. So I heard them at a couple of different media levels. And I and I read the whole 538, you know, commentary on I mean, this. It's always fun. Yeah. I'll say a couple of things before we move on. I mean, so so Harris, you know, this is you know, she didn't do well in some of the primary debates, right? Um and and there was some concern that maybe she, you know, because she she is a prosecutor, she's very good on her feet, but sometimes she you get her in a limelight and she kind of kind of come falls flat, not like epically flopping, but mm -hmm. falling flat, right? I mean, yep. she didn't, right? And she came across as someone who, you know, a lot of Americans could see as being the next president, right? Um, as being able to step into that role if something were to happen to Biden or, right. you know, if Biden needed to resign, you know, due to health reasons or what have you. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, and you know, so she, she did a good job sort of presenting herself in that way. Um, she, I thought, um, used a relative amount of restraint. Um, she could have been much more prosecutorial uh, in her approach right, uh, right. to try to score political points and, and set herself up as being, um, you know, the, the obvious front runner for, you know, 2024, perhaps. And she yeah. she had some restraint, I thought. Um, mm -hmm. So she she was a good team player. And other people have been pointing that out, too. Yep. The other thing I would point out just about the debate in general is I really and other people said this too. I really wish Paige, the moderator, would have yeah. at least attempted to get the candidates to answer the question. I mean, 
Of course, right. every debate right. is a series of questions in which candidates dodge and give their canned speeches. But this was, yeah. it was so blatantly that, and both sides did this, right? Mm -hmm. Of just clearly mm -hmm. ignoring the question, dancing around it, or just going off to a previous topic. Um, yeah. and, and Paige would never <laughs> even attempt to, to follow through. Right. So, so whatever you make of Mike, uh, excuse me, Chris Wallace last week, um, or two weeks ago, was it last yeah. week? It feels like a month. It was um, last week, believe he, it or not. He at least would generally try to repeat the question and say, you know, yeah. but but Mr. Yeah. Biden, but Mr. Trump, can you please, you know, and, right. but right. there was none, none even attempt to sort of hold them, no. get them on the record. And I found that just extraordinarily frustrating. If we're not going to do that, right. then there's absolutely no point in having these debates. It's a shame um, too because I think she asked pretty provocative, interesting questions. Yeah, yeah I think I think yeah. the questions for the most part were good and they were fair. Um, Except yeah, the but, last one, that last question about why can't you guys play nice is just oh yeah, that was goofy. Yeah, so uh, but I, I don't know. I thought I thought it was interesting. Sort of the last question. Um, it wasn't merely about playing nice. It was about how do you all approach civility, right? And mm -hmm. thinking about civil discourse. Um, and I thought that was an, an entirely appropriate and good question, right? Especially given where things had ended with the first presidential debate. Um, she was clearly, mm -hmm. I think, targeting that and targeting our, our you know, polarized situation. Well, I um, agree. I just, yeah. I, I can't, you know, at best, we, we still didn't get the best version of the answers. But the best version right. of those answers is simply paying lip service to civility, I think. And right. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd rather have some lip service to civility yeah. than, than none, though. Sure. So. Yeah, I guess my my issue with that question because that was part of that part that I did watch was I mean one because it, it was framed in terms of like this is what you know an American wants to know so then you get this like sort of like well thank you young sir for engaging or young ma'am for engaging in this you know process and so you get some of that like sort of you know sort of pandering to the sure. the kind of representative of the electorate which is frankly kind of a waste of time um, I also think that's a misplaced timing of that question if you're going to ask about civility start with that and like get that in the brain <laughs> at the beginning yeah. um, that would be point. more useful. Um, and I just think, I mean, like, it's not that the topics are important. I do agree on that, Matt, but I think maybe it could have been framed better. But I totally agree with this point about, like, she didn't follow up at all. I mean, it was just, you know, it was very striking that she's asking these specific questions and they're just taking, like, whatever thing they want to talk about that's kind of vaguely related or sometimes not um, and talking about that. And then it's just like, well, okay, great. I mean, like, whatever you, you know, you have, whatever you want to do, pretty much, we're going to let you do it. And that sort of makes the questions pointless because then you're just letting them do canned speeches. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'll I'll say for me the biggest disappointment in terms of the dodges, and there's one for each side. I'm gonna try and avoid being preachy like I was last week with the presidential debate. There was much more <laughs> there was much more soapbox for me to climb onto for that debate. But Giant I do so I, I do wish both these candidates had a moment where they could have shored up the norms of democracy. Yeah. And they both missed a chance to do it. Kamala Harris was asked by the moderator whether she and Joe Biden would, would support court packing. Yep. And I understand why she doesn't want to answer that, because this is a live mm -hmm. issue in the party, mm -hmm. and the center part of the party doesn't want to uh, deal with court packing, and the, the progressive uh, left side of the party definitely does want to consider court packing. So right. I know why she doesn't want to answer it, but a simple disavowal or a strong contextualization of court packing would go a long way towards sort of cooling the tensions around the, at that issue. Yeah. Likewise, and maybe more importantly for, for Mike Pence, it would have been so easy for Mike Pence to say, I will accept the results of a, a, of a clear free election. Yeah. Say it. Yep. It's not that hard to say, but yeah. his president won't say it. Yeah. Uh, and he needs to, and it's a problem for our democracy. And yep. so 
he could have done it and he dodged it too. And that's really unfortunate. And I think that's a real black mark on, on uh, Pence's character, to be honest, because he's yeah. somebody who yeah. he's somebody who at the very least I would expect to follow the rule of law. Yeah. And I think you, I think you will, but it's weird that it, like, it's like he felt like because of the president's position, he couldn't. Right. Yeah. And, and I agree with you, Chris. I mean, I think that was really unfortunate and there's a, there's such a good answer to that question. I mean, it's like, you know, Moderator, I have run for office X number of times, right? I mean, he's been elected, what, six, seven times to Congress, um, once to the governorship, once to the vice presidency. I have always respected that process. I've always been clear I would. Um, I will continue to do so, right? Yeah. Boom. I mean, like, yeah. but yeah. hey, you want me to say it? I'll say it. Like, come on, say it. Like, that's that's just kind of <laughs> that's basic democratic practice. So I agree. I mean, it was unfortunate. Yeah, and Pence's policy, I think, I mean, the past four years is to basically have zero daylight between him and Trump yep. on anything. Yeah. Right. right. And Absolutely. I think, yeah. And I think it is sort of like, he doesn't want to make Trump mad uh, is almost right. how it comes across. I mean, I think yeah. he could have even said something like, you know, he, he might even have found a way to sort of pivot and sort of explain the elephant in the room of Trump refusing. He could have said something, you know, along the lines of like, you know, I, you know, I, I know why you're asking that question, Paige, because it seems like the president, you know, is not, is, you know, refusing to to give up power. And like, he's just a fighter and he he doesn't he's going to go down fighting as hard as he can for the American people. But we all know that we as an administration are going to accept, you know, a free and fair, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. Right. Blah, yeah. blah, blah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But but he couldn't even do that much. And, and I agree that was that was a, you know, a giant whiff <laughs> yeah. on his part. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, alas. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know who else is taking a giant whiff these days, guys? Oh no! <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> I was I was gonna try and make a connection between swinging a miss type whiff and whiff as in taking a date a deep breath and talking about the cases of COVID cropping up in the White House. Wow! Uh, since we last podcasted. <laughs> There has been a new hot spot for the spread of coronavirus in the United States, and it is the White oh House. <laughs> so there are more people who work directly in the White House that have coronavirus now than there are cases in New Zealand uh, and um, Denmark combined. Wow. So that's a problem. Yeah, that is. So this is uh, now New Zealand is not fair because there are no cases in New Zealand because it's an island and they apparently have the Shire to protect them as well. But <laughs> this is a problem it's for the Donald Rangers, Trump. Yes. It's the Rangers. We, what's that? It's the Rangers. They protect oh, the Shire. You know how it is. I'm just okay. I just had a mental image of Aragorn and the other Rangers sort of yeah. surrounding uh, New Zealand with infrared thermometers and are just checking <laughs> uh, and saying, "You shall not pass." <laughs> Wow, we're anyway. getting some serious wires crossed here. But anyway. uh, <laughs> welcome to 2020, Matt. This just, Andy, this is just oh telling you to do another one of our fictional podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're overdue. Okay, in all seriousness, Donald Trump announced uh, last week, late last week, that after we podcasted, that he and First Lady Melania had both tested positive for coronavirus. This happened in the wake of a a large close unmasked gathering in the mm -hmm. Rose Garden where Trump introduced Amy Comey Barrett as his nominee for the Supreme Court. Subsequent to his uh, announcement of his diagnosis, he was admitted to the hospital to, for observation and treatment and mm -hmm. a whole 
hassle of other high-ranking Republican politicians and operatives, and also the president of Notre Dame, all <laughs> tested positive coronavirus yep. and have been in various cases isolated. Uh, this list, I'm not, well, I can't know if I can get it through everybody who's on the list. Chris Christie's on this list. Stephen Miller's on this list. Um, Hope Hicks. Kaylee McEnany. Hope Hicks might have been patient zero. We're not sure. It's yeah. um, Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary. Um, so this is a this is a substantial portion and um mark meadows too right mark meadows yeah. no 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 not mark meadows but uh not three, meadows. three okay. uh republican senators yeah yeah it's a lot it's a mm -hmm. lot and mm -hmm. we're not here we're not epidemiologists we're certainly not medical doctors we're not here to get to comment on president trump's medical condition he was apparently given a lot of treatment while he was in the hospital Mm -hmm. more than most people who have a mild case of coronavirus would have received. What we can't say, because we're not doctors and because we're, we're not privy to this information, is whether he received more treatment because his case is more serious or whether he received more treatment because he's the president. Right. And I think either one of those is true and we shouldn't make the decision on which one it is with the information yep. that we know. Yep. He is. He has since left the hospital. He is now renounced again mask wearing or at least he's been not wearing a mask in public in public shot the photography and things like that right. um, and he has indicated that he is and this is from today quote um in a perfect physical specimen and he is ready to resume his campaign schedule wow. including uh rallies yep now this has not been unnoticed by the American electorate, and, and uh, there's been an wow. effect in the polls. So I'll throw over to Matt here. What's been the COVID effect, the COVID diagnosis effect on Trump's presidential campaign? Well, so so we're not quite a week out, and by the time we get polls, so we're just now starting to see um, the effects on the polls. And of course, this happened um, simultaneous, I mean, just right on the heels of the debate. So like teasing out the effects that the debate might have versus the effects that Trump catching COVID when he's running around not wearing a mask and saying this thing isn't serious, like teasing these things out is not is not easy. We do know that um, in the national polling average, he has pulled ahead about a point and a half of excuse me, Biden has pulled ahead about 1.5 points ahead of Trump in the past week or so. Um, Meaning he's look, expanded his overall lead. He yes, was, right. Yeah. Right. So, so this, you know, it's hard to say why precisely, but it's probably some combination of the debate um, and also, you know, Trump catching COVID when he's been, for the most part, saying that this is not a serious disease um, and, you know, basically not practicing social distancing and mask wearing, you know, he and the entire White House, right, which is not a good look. So, um, yeah. Um, and of course, we don't really care so much about national polls around here. We care about state polls and how and how the candidates are doing in um, in the so-called swing states or the tipping point states. And and really, Biden is pulling ahead in a lot of the states that Trump definitely needs to win. So yep. Ohio, North Carolina, Arizona, Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Trump needs basically all of these states, all but one, uh, to win a majority in the Electoral College. But Biden is making headway in these, um, yeah. even over the past few weeks. Um, and Biden is even becoming competitive in Georgia and Iowa um, and perhaps even Texas, um, which I don't think is necessarily going to flip. But it's it's no. no longer so crazy to think that it could flip blue. 
in the electoral college. So, so that's kind of where we're at. We still have, you know, about three and a half weeks to go, which is a pretty long time considering it's 2020, a lot can happen. Um, but, but as I've said before, um, there's not a whole lot that matters at this point. Um, and you could see a, a slight tightening in the polls, you know, Trump making a little bit of headway if Biden has some big gaffes, if there's some better economic news, if um, there's another debate and Trump does well in it, um, if the VP debate turns out to have a little, you know, bump uh, for, for Trump, um, or if the Democrats and the the hearings for Amy Coney Barrett tend to overreach, there are some things that, right. you know, could all come together and help give Trump a boost. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are going to have to break Trump's way um, significantly and very quickly for him to make up a gap that um, is actually increasing. Yep. Yep. And that's why the, the, the VP debate in some ways is significant because Pence really had to significantly outperform Harris for the VP debate to be meaningful. And because it was yeah. essentially a draw, that's just a missed opportunity for Trump to make up some of this ground. Right. Yeah. And, and not for any fault of Pence's. I think Pence did basically everything he could. Um, it yeah. would take some right. failure on Harris's on Harris part, part. Yeah. A, a, a pretty major failure, right? Yep. No one yep. really expected her to crash and burn. Even yeah. if it wasn't a standout performance, no one really right. expected her to crash and burn. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, at this point, I mean, so it's, I mean, if you look at the 538, um, um, you know, model, which takes into account polls and a lot of other factors, basically it's twice as likely that Biden wins in a landslide than that Trump ekes out a victory. So yeah, there's a one in three chance that Biden has a landslide in his favor. Right. And there's a one in six chance at this point that Trump barely squeaks across the finish line ahead of Biden, right? So that's that's what we're looking at. There's nearly no chance that Trump wins in a landslide. It's right. Just, it's, it's, it's incredibly minuscule at this point. Um, yeah. You would have to have some, you would have to have some massive exogenous, you know, um, right. force that would, that would cause that at this point. Can yeah. we talk about one aspect of 538, which they have acknowledged they're not capable of modeling well, and that is the shy Trump voter. Right. Uh, because what, 538 really focuses on is the idea of is poll aggregation. One mm -hmm. of the implicit assumptions they have to make is that people tell pollsters some version of the truth, <laughs> yep. or at least at least they're consistent in how they report themselves to pollsters. Right. Is it possible, guys, that there is just this group of people out there? And, the, and by the way, there are Republican strategists who are starting to float this idea. So I'm not the one to come up with this. Mm -hmm. Is there something out there that doesn't want to tell a liberal pollster, as they perceive them, that they're voting for Trump, but really when push meets shove in the in the booth, they're going to vote for Trump? Is that a I'm, thing political scientists pay attention to? This comes up periodically. I mean, this actually came up in 2008 with Barack Obama, right? Um, in a different way, right? Which is to say um, there was a wondering, people wondering if... Um, there were a slice of voters um, who would not vote for an African-American, but did not want to tell pollsters they would not vote for an African-American. Um, and so we're lying. Right. And so there was that wondering, like, is the poll over or the polls overestimating support for Obama, underestimating support for McCain? Um, that turned out to be basically not the case. Right. I mean, it turned out like the polls were actually pretty accurate in 2008. Um, and I mean, like, I'm not saying there was nobody anywhere doing that, but it was not a systematic effect. Um, and so that really didn't seem to play out. I'm skeptical of this one too. I'm actually more skeptical of this one because it seems like the other 
I can imagine like not wanting to say like, I secretly am kind of feeling racist about this, but I'm not, I don't want to tell you that. Right. Like I don't get the sense that Trump voters are that shy. Um, they actually seem quite willing to um, express where they're at. I mean, maybe there's a small slice of these people. I would be kind of surprised if this is a big systematic effect. However, having said that, I do think there's a possibility um, that the Biden vote total will get overestimated. And I think what's what I'm more interested in is actually um, something we've talked about on here before, which is the mail-in situation, right? Mm -hmm. I think that because mail-in votes are more likely to be invalidated, right? Um, because of people, you know, not signing them properly, not putting them in the right envelope, not dating them correctly, things like that, right? Um, and because Biden voters seem to be more likely to vote by mail, that could actually reduce the, the vice president's, um, you know, vote, vote totals in some important ways. Um, and if that, you know, if that happens in states that are close, that could actually matter. So I, I think there is a chance that this actually his total gets driven down a little more, but I would suspect it to be more like that kind of thing rather than shy Trump voters. But I'd be open to be persuaded that I'm wrong. That's where okay. I'm Okay. I have about 10 different things I want to say. I'll try to. <laughs> All right. these. Okay. So, okay. So the 2016, we, we need to get something clear about the 2016 polls. So the 2016 yep. polls at the national level actually did very well. They were within the yes. margin of error. Of course. They, they predicted very closely the overall popular vote. Very close. Which seems to suggest overall, there's not a huge swing and a miss on the, the SMAGA. The so shy, shy Trump voters. voters. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's that. Now there was, yeah, I didn't coin that term. Someone else did. Now, I like it though. Now, um, there was a miss, um, a not a huge miss, but like a two, three, four percent miss in certain key upper Midwestern states, in which basically yep. there are some people who were, were you know, basically hadn't come out and voted much in the past, so they're not right. frequent voters, mm. and they weren't included in the likely voter pool, which uh -huh. is what these basically when you're a pollster, you have to not only figure, you not only have to go pull the population, you have to figure out, you have to pull the people who are most likely to get out and vote, which right. means you have to make a lot of assumptions about that. And you do that by looking at whether or not people have voted in the past. But when you have new people who are starting to vote for the first time consistently or just come out and vote for the first time at all, that makes that calculation really difficult. Trump activated those some of those people, not because they are shy, but because they are being activated. They are getting into it. Mm -hmm. and so that's the first thing. Um, so there's little evidence that that there was a, a shy Trump voter effect 2016. There's not a lot of evidence for it now either for a lot of different reasons. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but perhaps the one of the most convincing reasons to me, at least, is if you compare online polls versus phone polls, there is no difference between them. Mm -hmm. So in theory, a, a person who is shy about Trump is shy in that they wouldn't want to respond to a, a pollster on the phone that they support Trump. But, but it turns out that, online. Yeah, that, that online, you wouldn't be shy about it, right? Yep. Um, so, so I, there's just, there's so little evidence for this and, and mm -hmm. Republicans who are trotting this out as, as this huge sort of silent majority out there that is, that is going to vote for Trump. Um, but they're reticent to do so is just, is just nonsense for the most part. And actually, I mean, Andy, you said something interesting that the Biden total might be overestimated. Um, I think it could be underestimated. I think there could similarly be people who, you know, don't typically come out and vote. Um, but who are just, they're so sick of the current situation and they just want, want the insanity to stop. And they, they actually come out and they decide to vote because they want to bring some sort of normalcy back to the White House. Um, yep. Not because they particularly like Biden, but because they're just tired of Trump and they want to see him go away. Right. Correct. Um, so, so yeah, um, I don't have any reason to think that the polls are wildly off. This is why polls always have a margin of error. Right. Yep. 
Um, and so you should always keep that in account as well. This is why you should look at aggregates of polls as well mm -hmm. um, and not cherry pick polls and look at particular polls. Um, right. So yeah, I could say more, but. Yeah, I think that that um, makes a lot of sense. And I mean, and just to build on that point you made about, you know, maybe maybe Biden's totals actually end up being higher, right? Um, one convention, piece of conventional wisdom which favors Biden this time is that, you know, late late breakers tend to break for the challenger, right? I mean, like that's kind of the conventional wisdom is if you haven't already decided you like the incumbent, why would you at the last second, right? Um, and so, you know, that that dynamic functionally would have favored Donald Trump in 2016, right? As the candidate who was out of power. And so, you know, you had a, like you had exit polls out of Wisconsin showing that there were, you know, there was a pretty significant slice of voters who said, I don't like Donald Trump and I voted for him, right? Um, and these are the kind of those light breakers who are saying like, I don't love this guy, but I do feel like we need a change. So let's do it. Um, you would expect people who are feeling that to Matt's point, um, to go for Joe Biden this time. Yeah. And isn't there also, I'm asking, I'm not stipulating this as, as people break late, don't they also have a front runner effect? You'd prefer to vote for somebody who has a clear lead if you're going to vote at all. There is a little bit of that, um, you know, Americans like a winner. Um, That's what I was thinking of, yeah. Don't we yeah. all? Is that, a, yeah. is, that, is that just an adage or does well, it actually hold up empirically? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of evidence for that. Um, and, you know, Biden does have a pretty commanding lead. Um, yeah. So, although if you, I mean, right. the, the reverse thing is true as well. Like if it's going to be such a blowout, some people are like, eh, I'm going to stay home because it doesn't matter. Right. Right. True. So I think that, that although people are, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I say it, people might be, uh, campaigns might be savvier in swing states. Mm -hmm. And so sure. even so people might stay home in California, in New York, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Arkansas, <laughs> in um in places where it, it's going to be a very clear um a very clear win, but people in Ohio, at least the Ohioans I talked to and I talked to a fair number of them, now admittedly they might not be average Ohioans, but they they seem to get the sense that that their vote still really matters, even if there's a big lead, um, because the, it's close in Ohio. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. That makes sense too. So, um, well, guys, this uh, one more uh, issue for us to cover in this quick uh, reactive podcast, and that is, we've got a little slight expansion of the lead for Joe Biden, um, mm -hmm. a diminution of of Donald Trump's chances, a, a COVID diagnosis, and apparently very rapid recovery. But now, as of today, Donald Trump has also indicated that he is not willing to accept the decision made by the Presidential Debate Commission to have the second presidential debate be online, be a, a right. um, remote video format. And he says he won't do it, period. He said it's not worth his time to debate Joe Biden in this format. If they're not face to face, it's not a real debate. Uh, have we seen the last presidential debate for this cycle? Be fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> So he's made three um, hours of my life. I don't know if anyone's going to be just weeping um, if, no. if this doesn't happen. Um, maybe a few, but I mean, yeah. So, so I mean, the you know Biden, you know, understandably, is not going to want to be around Trump if Trump is still contagious, and who knows? Although, if they were to meet in person, there would almost certainly be tests. The virtual debate is a way mm -hmm. to sort of get around that. Um, I think, you know, for, for Trump, it's very on brand, of course, to say like, hey, this, this virtual stuff is just silly and it's nonsense. So I want to do the real thing. Right. Uh, it could also just be a smokescreen for like, maybe Trump isn't doing so hot. Right. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. if you. With his health, you mean. Yeah, his yeah. health. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
sure, maybe he's not deathly ill, but you know, you're, you know, COVID can, I mean, it can take weeks to recover from this. And it, you know, right. some of these steroids that he's on, you know, have side effects such as mania, right? Um, and, and other things. I mean, these are actual like listed side yeah. effects. So, yep. you know, so you can be mentally affected by this and not to mention the fact that if you've not been out sort of campaigning and you're not yeah. sort of in, in your groove, right, you're not mm -hmm. ready to, to get on the debate stage um, to, and, and give a good performance, especially if you're, you're on drugs and you're kind of loopy, right? Um, yep. So, so there's other, you know, good reasons why he might not want to participate, but, but he can't say that because that makes him look weak, right? Because of the things that he said right. about COVID right. and how he's licked this, and this is just like the flu and whatever. So it's better for him to say like, this is a pseudo debate. I'm not going to give in and you yep. do some sort of pansy virtual thing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I think we'd all be for the, be better off if we didn't have to subject ourselves to another one of these, these presidential yeah. debates. And so. on the other side, I would say like, it seems to me like uh, there's almost nothing to be gained by Joe Biden to for, by, by him to for by debating again, right? So it seems to me like you know you give lip service to like well it's really unfortunate the president's avoiding the debate. Um, I would love to debate him, and then in, in secret like you know you're like yes, right? Get out of that one because again I mean you're up by almost ten points. Um, we all saw what happened last time, right? Like what's the upside, right? I mean, yeah. you're not likely to, there's not a lot of undecided voters out there that Joe Biden can pick up. So the only things you could do is make a mistake that probably hurts you. Exactly. Um, I mean, Trump could yeah. too, but honestly, like Trump feels like in the polls right now, he's not too far from his floor. Like there's a floor below which the president will not go in his vote totals. And I feel like we're not there, yeah. but we're not too far from it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, I just don't think there's much to be gained. So I think if you're Joe Biden, I mean, you want to play this and say like, you know, give the president every opportunity to opt out and go do something different with that evening. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, Biden, you know, really should. All he really needs to do now is just sit in his basement yeah. uh, for the next three and a yeah. half weeks um, and get ready for his acceptance speech. Like, you know, well, yeah. Trump could yeah. still win. Something crazy right. could happen. Right. right. But, but why? You know, like there is greater chance that something goes badly for Biden that, than that something right. goes well. Right. Yeah. And yeah. let's face it. You know, Biden is sitting on a huge pile of cash right now. He yeah. is spending money. Literally, it's his couch. It's just a giant brick. <laughs> he's just laying out on like piles of hundred dollar bills. I mean, it's yeah, an astonishing right. amount of money that he's that he's sitting on top of. And he is spending it all over the place. He's spending it in Texas, spending yep. it yep. in a number of different states. Trump is pulling out, is pulling ads. Um out of states such as Minnesota and mm -hmm. um, and Iowa, so that and um, so that they can devote and Ohio too. He's pulling ads out wow. of Ohio so that he can wow. devote more money to Florida and Georgia and Arizona, where he desperately needs to win. Right, yep. um, and you know, like Biden's sitting pretty right now. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that Trump couldn't win, but right. I mean, so it's like get a load of this, guys. So so Biden is running away with the seniors. Kind of a funny yeah. way to put it, but he's running yeah. away from seniors. <laughs> so, so Trump won the seniors, which is a really key constituency for him, by seven points in 2016. Take a yeah. wild guess how big Biden's lead amongst the senior is seniors are right now. Humor me. Twenty points. Twenty-seven. Oh, 27 Whoa, points. I was going to say 15. Wow. Yeah. So, yes. That's NBC, crazy. Wall Street Journal poll, 27 points. Yeah. A slightly earlier poll by CNN, 21. It's huge. Right. Yeah. As as yeah. Trump would say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I'm just I'm just saying, like, we sh we should be prepared to see a Biden landslide. I'm not saying yeah. it's guaranteed. No. Trump could still no. win. But for those people who are saying, you know, Trump pulled out, you know, a win unsurprisingly last time. Well, like, well, last time, you know, it was more like a one in three chance for a Trump win, not a one in six. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and things are substantially different this time around. Right. So. Right. And I think it's important to know when you look at that one in six chance on 538. Right. I mean, like when you say. You know, that that's what it is today, 26 days out. If the polling is sitting where it is right now on election day, it will not be a one in six. It'll be probably more like a one in 50, right? Or something yeah. like that. Yes. Um, that's only, that's like, that's built because basically to, to account for the fact that we still have 26 days and stuff could happen. And stuff could happen. And the other thing is, this reality is like, I mean, people are already voting, right? And yeah. so a lot of the vote is already getting, you know, kind of baked in, right? And it's done. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, the further we go without anything shifting Trump's direction, I mean, the worse to get, worse it gets, right? And the kind of people you just described matter exactly the kind of people we should expect to be voting early, voting by mail, getting those votes in. So, um, it it is looking, I think, very good for Joe Biden. Although, as we learned in 2016, we should be cautious about never saying never, right? But you're right; yeah. it looks much better for him than it did for Hillary Clinton. And yeah, and it's looking good for for Democrats on down the ballot races too. I mean, you look yeah. at the Senate races. Yeah, we don't have time to get into that, but. Um, yeah. But, you know, the the Democrats running in key Senate races are, you know, inching ahead in certain cases. And they are they are outspending their Republican opponents by six to one on average. They have a huge, a huge gap on on fundraising and, and spending, not not like spending by the super PACs right on their behalf, so to speak. Right. But like the actual campaign spending is there's a huge gap there. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, this is. Um is the I will say throw one more thing in here. If the election numbers continue to slide away from Trump, he does have one other option at his disposal with regard to the debates. Although he might be skipping the second debate, uh, which is supposed which the election debate commission has proposed to be online, he could put pressure on the commission to make the third and final debate a, a live in-person debate again. And he could say basically the time is, you know, I'm I'm no longer, you know, I'll take a test. I don't have COVID, I promise. Um, you know, I'm not contagious. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't want to debate me now. He's just he, he's breaking the rules. These are the rules we agree right. on. And yep. so yep. he might get one more shot. We might we might not be out of the debates just yet. That uh, is true. One quick programming is. note: we got to get going here, but uh, we'll, we'll be back in your feed in our normal time next week, and hopefully uh, we'll have some guests with us. So that'll be uh, I'll I'll save who's coming uh, for uh, for a surprise. Wow. But join us next time for some guests. You've been listening to Election Shock Therapy on the Channel 3900 Network. You can always get a hold of us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Like Zoe Vermeer, who emailed to say hi and that she misses us as her professors. Zoe, we Aww. miss you as, having, as, as your, our student, too. Hope you're doing well. And um, thanks for uh, – you can always send us questions. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and listen to other great things in the channel, things like Bookish at Bethel, Tweet Victory, uh, academic Avatar with Academics, and um, thanks for listening. Until we get back with you next week, go Royals. Mm -hmm.